Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. All right, guys, let's get to it. We have a big show for you today. I'm interviewing Aidan Kearney of Turtle Boy News. If you haven't listened to the previous two episodes on this John O'Keefe case out of Canton, Massachusetts, you may want to do that, guys. It does provide a good foundation for what we're going to do today. And I think I said in the first episode, Aidan Kearney has forgotten more about this case than I'll ever know. He is literally all over it. I believe there's 26 or 27 segments on Turtle Boy News with new items every day. It's been reported that Brian Albert has retained an attorney, and his name is Greg Henning out of Boston. He is a former assistant district attorney from Suffolk County. That's Boston, Massachusetts, and it's near suburbs. So just for the record, several people in this case have retained counsel. Jennifer McCabe has retained high-profile criminal attorney Kevin Reddington. He is a pretty heavy hitter in the criminal defense world. I believe he was the defense attorney for Mo Vaughn back in the day when he overturned his car on the highway. He is pretty good at what he does, and if I was in a gym, I'd consider calling Reddington as well. Chris Albert, Brian Albert's brother, is said to have retained an attorney who is serving people around Canton, Massachusetts, basically cease and desist orders on their social media posts. And that's a bit silly, but it's a scare tactic. And that seems to be happening in Canton right now. So Greg Henning, Brian Albert's attorney, is fighting to keep Brian Albert's phone records from coming into this case. He says it's basically a fishing expedition, and we've heard all this before. We heard it at the hearing last week. That hearing did not go well for the Commonwealth, and I think the judge is going to bring in Brian Albert's phone records and Jennifer McCabe. There was a search done, a forensic search done on her phone, and she was found to have deleted calls from her call log. Why would you do that? She deleted these items before she handed it into the state police. That's not question marks to anybody. Everybody says, oh, this is a conspiracy theory. Really? Because if I just helped out a friend whom I had found dead on the lawn of my brother-in-law, I wouldn't be thinking to delete my call log, would you? I certainly wouldn't. And don't forget, guys, that a independent cell phone forensics expert stated that Jennifer McCabe had Googled how long to die in the snow at 2.27 a.m. If she thought John 
was home in bed, as she stated, because he didn't come into the party. And I believe she later stated to the state police that she just thought Karen and John had left, deciding not to come into the party. If that's the case, who are you talking about? Who was going to die of exposure? Who are you worried about? Man, there's a whole lot of question marks here, and it doesn't look good. Something else strange from that hearing of last week where they disputed Michael Proctor's relationship with the McCabe's and the Alberts, but it's kind of a lawyery, slimy way to do that. They never stated that Michael Proctor didn't know Brian Albert or didn't know Jennifer McCabe. They never said that. They said the photographs produced weren't Jennifer McCabe's children, but that's not really the issue. Again, I don't know why the judge didn't get clarification on this. Do you know Jennifer McCabe? Do you know Brian Albert and his family? That's the question that needs answering. And when lawyers don't answer a direct question, there's reasons for that. If there was no relationship between Trooper Michael Proctor, Brian Albert, and the rest of the crew, they'd say that. They'd say, this is ludicrous. Trooper Proctor doesn't know Brian Albert. They didn't say that. If he didn't know Jennifer McCabe, they'd be yelling that from the stand, right? They'd be yelling it in court because there's TV cameras all over the place. They'd say you're impugning the integrity of the Massachusetts State Police, and they'd make a big deal out of it. They don't. They never said Trooper Proctor doesn't know Brian Albert and Jennifer McCabe. They never said those words. If they didn't know those two individuals, they'd be screaming it. One of the questions I'd like clarification if Turtle Boy knows is what is the deal with ATF agent Brian Higgins? He apparently had been drinking all night with the Alperts, and all of a sudden, between 12.30, 1 o'clock, this guy decides, oh, I got to go into work and do some administrative work. That's what he told people, right? I got to go do some administrative work after drinking all night. That reeks to me of establishing an alibi about time and place because I'm not certain here, did this guy witness the beef and he thinks something further wrong is about to happen or has happened and he wants to distance himself from that by being on camera at the Canton Police where his office is. Also, guys, I'm going to ask Aiden about the federal subpoenas. It has been reported that a federal grand jury has been convened in this case. People have been served. Turtle Boy reported, not last week, but the week prior, I believe, that Jennifer McCabe, he is certain that she has been served. And he speculates that Brian Albert is served as well. Hence, Brian Albert hiring attorney Greg Henning. You'd have to speculate that if a federal grand jury has been impaneled in this case, it's a good thing for Karen Reed. It is a very good thing for Karen Reed, I think. This seems to be one of those cases where the prosecution is basically saying, who are you going to believe, us or your lying eyes? I get frustrated in this case because I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, right? They conflate 
these texts from Jennifer McCabe at 2.27 a.m. and then again at around 6 a.m. And they don't address the 2.27 a.m. inquiry to Google how long to die in the snow. They don't address it. They conflate it with the other inquiry, which the defense says was an attempt to overwrite the first one, and it didn't work. All right, guys, I know everybody's looking to get to Aiden Kearney, and we're going to do that. I just wanted to reiterate the email policy I stated it last week was basically be a mensch. An individual from the 508 area code is reported to be okay with that. Claire, thanks for your response on our email policy. It is appreciated. All right, guys, here is the interview with Aiden Kearney from Turtle Boy News. I'll pop back in at the end of the interview to say goodbye to you. I think it was a good one. I think you're going to enjoy it. Aiden Kearney from Turtle Boy News. Welcome to Boston Confidential. Thanks for having me. So this case is a little bit interesting, would you say? Uh, to say the least, yeah. I think that's underselling it. I think I've given my listeners a foundation of this case. This will be my third episode on it. You have 29 chapters on your blog on this case, so I think you're a little bit... And it grows by the day. We're not even close to being done. So, like I said, I think I've given people a foundation on this case, but what is your thought process? What went wrong here? I can't really put my finger on the minute it started spinning out of control. It's when John went in that house after leaving the waterfall bar. Is that what you believe as well? Are you asking me what went wrong for John O'Keefe to die or where did this investigation go wrong? Let's start with John first. To okay. be quite frank, I feel like he's getting forgotten in all this. Mm. But what went wrong when he got in that house, do you think? And I know this is a defense explanation. The prosecution will have something else. But this went bad pretty quickly for John, didn't it? So it's all a theory. I mean, there was no investigation to anyone in the house. No one was questioned about it. There was no luminol done. The house should have been considered a crime scene. It was not because it was a Boston police sergeant's house. And any other person, a dead body gets found in their house, they're going to investigate the inside of the house. They're going to look through it. It's going to be turned into an active crime scene. This was not, for whatever reason. They didn't even consider the people inside suspects at all. None of them were taken seriously. All they had to say was he didn't come in the house. And that was sufficient because they all said that. They all stuck to their story. And people will say, well, you sound like a conspiracy theorist, tinfoil hat, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's really not that hard to understand when you think about it because every person in that house was an accessory to a murder. Why would any of them admit to that? Right. So I think what went wrong was I think he went in the house and this is just my theory. I think he was lured into the basement where he found people down there. I'm guessing it was Colin Albert and Brian Albert were down there. And Colin Albert is the only person in that house who really has a long standing history and feud with John O'Keefe. And I believe that in Canton, you don't mess with the Albert family. Nobody messes with them. Nobody tells them what to do. And John was an infamous kind of like get off my lawn guy with Colin who would cut across his yard, like literally a get off my lawn guy. And, you know, that's disrespectful. You don't disrespect an Albert in Canton. And I think they brought him down there 
to teach him a lesson. I don't think they intended to kill him. That's crazy. They wouldn't have all these people over. They intended to kill someone, but I think it was a beating and he was supposed to take it, but he fought back. And next thing you know, the dog gets involved and he's knocked out. And next thing you know, they have an unconscious Boston police officer in their basement and they need to come up with something real quick. And they're like, well, let's just blame it on her. Leave him right where she dropped him off and let her find it. So that two inch gash, and I know you posted these photographs that looks larger than two inches to me. That's a hell of a gash on the back of his head. Yeah. It looks like he was hit with a weight. It looks like he was hit with something like a cylinder. Yeah. Like longer. And, and, yeah. and there's weights in the basement. Yeah. So, you know, you tell me what happened. Something happened. It looks like whatever happened to the back of his head. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical examiner, but I've been told that it can cause swelling and that would explain why his eyes were popped out basically, right. or he was beaten. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. As I mentioned, I'm not a medical examiner, but I'm also not stupid. And I see right. those pictures of him and I say that is not caused by somebody going five miles an hour in reverse. That's not how this works. And you have to be extremely stupid or naive in order to believe that lie. And I just can't believe that the state is peddling this lie that they're not embarrassed and ashamed of it. I mean, people are talking about this. They look ridiculous and they're just pushing ahead with it anyway. And let me ask you, they say the body, John's body was found about 12 feet off of the road. But on which side, if you're looking at the house straight on in the driveways to the right, where was the body actually found? On the left next to the flagpole. Okay. So that's a good ways in, I don't know, 12, 12 feet. feet. 12 feet. Do the math for how that works. How much force would be required? I'm sure there's a scientific way to figure this out, a mathematical way. How much force is required to launch a 217 pound man 12 feet? in the air like he couldn't long jump 12 right. feet if he had a running head start but somehow this car launched him 12 feet onto grass which somehow caused road rash on grass in, in and snow. in the snow and his arm looked like it was eaten by a pack of wolves right but i mean you just have to be an infant to think that this is legitimate geez so that's literally two body lengths of john o'keefe Yes. So at five miles an hour, and I was reading through the reports, the only mention of a three-point turn comes from Karen Reed. And it doesn't come from Karen Reed. It comes from Michael Proctor saying what Karen Reed allegedly said. Karen Reed never said she did a three-point turn. Michael Proctor said she did. Michael Proctor says a lot of things and writes down a lot of things that aren't actually as they appear. For instance, he intentionally, this is the biggest red flag. In his report, the names of four witnesses that were in that house are misspelled sarah levinson emily fabiano julie nagel and catherine duty who happens to be the daughter of the town manager and who was the fire chief at the time that this happened charles duty and you don't do that i've talked to police about this they don't spell names wrong because no. they go in the system they they write name date of birth copy and paste none of right. them had dates of birth next to them all of their names were intentionally spelled wrong so that if you look it up, this won't come up. And I, I tested that out with Sarah Levinson. I tried one spelling of her name and the other. One comes up, the other does not on Google. This was intentionally done by him to protect the people that were in that house 
because he's concerned. He doesn't want to disrupt their careers. He doesn't want to hurt them. He doesn't want them to be tied to this. And so you cannot trust a word that Michael Proctor says. Literally nothing he says can be trusted. Here's another thing he lied about. He claims in his report that he went to the parents' house in Dayton at 4.30 p.m. and had her car towed at 5.30 p.m. Except their alarm.com surveillance video shows a timestamp photograph of her car, Karen Reed's car, being towed at 4.12 p.m. He said he didn't even get there till 4.30, had it towed at 5.30. This gives him an hour and 18 minutes unattended with that vehicle to do whatever he wants. Miraculously, taillight fragments that the Kenton police officers did not see when there was just two inches of snow on the ground, did not see, miraculously appeared during a second search after more than a foot of snow has dropped on the ground. So you cannot assume that anything that Michael Proctor puts in his reports is true. Holy cow. It's sad when you can't trust the police. How compromised is Proctor in this? Like hours after that or an hour after that last hearing, you put up pictures of McCabe's children that they said weren't in the photograph that they showed in court. And it was those same kids. Yeah. And I hate to bring kids into it. They give you no choice when they're using them as pawns in court, in court documents. Like I said, there, there was a picture that I put in the original blog. And I said, here's a picture of Michael Proctor with Jennifer McCabe's kids. Now there's three kids in it. The girl in the foreground is not his kid. It's his niece. The two girls directly behind them in towels, indicating that they're at some sort of party, unless right. they're just stray vagrant children wandering <laughs> around Canton in, in towels. Right. Are Jennifer McCabe's children, the two girls in the back. We verified that. They're still in high school now. Those girls go to Canton High School. It is just a blatant lie that they're saying in court documents that, no, those aren't Jennifer McCabe's kids. They provably are. If you're going to have the balls to go in court and just lie when we can all plainly see with our own eyes that this is untrue, why should we believe a word the prosecution has right. to say about anything? Right. I think I said in my first podcast, you have an attorney with the expertise of Yanetti. Just the relationship between Proctor McCabe and the Alperts would be enough to drive a truck through this case. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. And he didn't disclose any of this. Now, Brian Albert in his most recent filing said that he's never talked to Michael Proctor before. Brian Albert does not have social media presence, which is smart for a lot of police officers, but uh, right. Thus, there's no way to, you know, say, here's a picture of them together. But his brother, Chris, who he's very close to, is very close with the Proctors. As a matter of fact, his son, Colin, was the ring bearer in the wedding of Michael Proctor's sister. They're in a wedding thing together. They're all very close together. They're tied together. And there's no way that Michael Proctor did not know Brian Albert. They lived in the same town. Of course, they're going to know each other. They run the same social circles. Additionally, the tie is there between at least Chris Albert's family and Michael Proctor. And Chris right. Albert's son was in the house. 34 Fairview Road is tied to Michael Proctor. And immediately the fact that you know that Colin Albert's in that house means he needs to tap out of that investigation. He was not even on duty at the time this investigation right. actually began. He clocked in, as did Canton Police Sergeant Michael Lank, who 20 years prior got Chris Albert out of a jam. Whenever the Alberts are in a jam, Sergeant Lank shows up right. or Michael Proctor shows up. A friendly cop that they have a good relationship with shows up. 
And people who would normally be considered prime suspects in this are not even treated as suspects in any way, shape, or form. So I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because do you expect this from a prosecutor where the photo goes up and it's just a lie? I feel like the whole world is topsy-turvy. A lot of times you'd expect some shenanigans from the defense, right? Because mm -hmm. sometimes a defense attorney doesn't have much ammunition, but I don't see this from a prosecutor. It makes me almost doubt myself what I see and what I read. You know what I mean? Well, and that's what they're hoping for. They're hoping for people will have trust in the state and they will find this so ridiculous and unbelievable that a bunch of people in a house could conspire to do such a thing. And they're going to make you sound like a crazy person. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a fact guy. I'm an evidence guy. I always have been. But I look at the facts here and the evidence, and it's plain to see that Michael Proctor cannot be trusted with anything. And you have to assume now that everything here is a lie. And why isn't Adam Lally in the face of all this? Why aren't they dropping these charges? It's really simple. Right. Michael Proctor and Nicholas Guarino and Connor Keefe, they're all troopers who are involved in this investigation who are also actively involved in the Brian Walsh investigation. Yeah. If he lied about this and this, if he's capable of lying, what else is he capable of? No, That's a field day for Brian Walsh's attorney. They can't afford to let that happen because Brian Walsh is guilty as sin. We know he's guilty as sin because of all those Google searches he did. But yet the Jennifer McCabe Google search at 2.27 a.m., Adam Lally and the DA's office is poo-pooing that. Like, oh, that's nothing. She couldn't have done that. She couldn't have Googled how long to die in cold at 2.27 a.m. because she had another browser open. She was looking at basketball as if your phones don't give you the capability of having more than one browser up. Right. So again, they say something that is factually true, but omit the actual question. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's meant to deceive. It's meant to appeal to people who don't understand how phones work. Right. And also, why didn't the judge just ask the question, does this trooper know this family or not? And then it's cleared up like they'd have to answer. Yeah, I, I don't know how that works. I don't know if, if the judge just sits and listens or I, I won't pretend to be a legal expert on how any of a hearing like that works. If that's even her role in that is to ask questions or just to listen. But I would assume, I mean, she, she's not stupid. She went to law school. I think the hometown cooking here favors the prosecution's office because she works with them every day. Right. Uh, whereas she sees Karen Reed's attorney coming in from California and she's like, screw this guy. She's naturally inclined right. to dislike him. But when they brought in that picture of John O'Keefe's arm, I mean, she's not stupid. She sees that. She's like, that's not road rash. That's not a, an abrasion. I'm not, right. I don't care what the medical examiner said. That is a dog bite. Right. Maybe she didn't have to ask. Maybe the judge didn't have to ask because she can see it's all horseshit. And she doesn't want to eviscerate the lawyer, the prosecutor in open court because obviously every judge is also an attorney, right? She's mm -hmm. been either probably prosecution or defense. She was a um, public defender. Actually, okay. Which I thought would favor the defense in this, but apparently not. No, I know. And what do you think? a potential civil judgment because i've said this in my pod if half of what you say is true she'll have a hundred million dollar case against the commonwealth do they start considering that at a certain point do you think 
No, because it's all paid for by insurance anyway. The state gets sued all the time and then they settle and it's not like they're paying, like insurance pays for all of this stuff. Police departments get sued all the time. They right. settle because it's just cheaper than fighting it and paying for lawyers and stuff like that. But I did find it amusing. I've, I've recently come across some documents here back in 2020 during the BLM protests and riots or whatever. There was a big push here for a bill that would end qualified immunity. That was one of the things. Right. And I'm in favor of qualified immunity for public servants because no one's going to want to become a public servant if right. they are individually liable for doing something on the job and right. you know something happened. Like, like no, we, we need to attract quality candidates. But I did find it interesting that I'm reading, I found two emails in opposition to qualified immunity. One of them is from state trooper Yuri Buchanan, who is one of the troopers involved in this investigation. The other is from Elizabeth Proctor, the wife of Michael Proctor, who ironically could get sued personally for this if there was no qualified immunity. So I understand now right. where she's coming from with that. Could we talk a little bit about this 2.27 a.m. Google search by Jennifer McKay? This may be, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, for me, this is the linchpin here. If that is accurate, and I think the prosecution said they didn't read the phone data correctly, but if she Googled how to die in the cold at 2.27 a.m. and she believed that John was already home in bed, who is she asking about? Maybe she's just curious. Maybe she was just like, you know what? I want to find out how long to die in cold. How long can I sit out there and just be alive? Maybe she wanted to test it out. Maybe she had some fascination with that at 2.27 in the morning after a night of drinking. Maybe that right. was her priority. I don't know. But she apparently, again, like you said, their story is he never came in the house. If right. he never came in the house, then she is to assume that he went home and she would have no reason to believe anyone was in the cold and thus she would have no reason to ever Google that. She realized it was a mistake. Must have realized like, oh shit, because she erased it. She erased the Google search. Yeah. And then at 627, when she came across the body with Karen Reed, she Googled it again right. in an attempt to think that like, if I Google this again, it will erase the prior ones. That's right. not how it works. Jennifer McCabe handed over her cell phone willingly. It did not require right. any subpoena. They probably wouldn't have got it in a motion, but she handed it over willingly because she's so confident and stupid to right. believe that if I just delete everything, they can't find it, but they can. A forensic <laughs> analyst like Richard Green, who probably cost the defense upwards of $50,000, I'm guessing, just to hire this guy because he's right. one of the foremost experts in the country on this matter. He's going to find it. They're going to find it. Nothing, everything is forever on your cell phones. Right. So if that is accurate, and according to this expert, it is, he got into the house. If John got into the house, Karen Reed is innocent, right? Immediately. There's no other way around it. If he's in that house at all, then we know that every person in that house lied about him being in there and this completely changed. That, we also know that he is alive and able to walk to the door. Therefore, it's impossible for her to kill him. So I wanted to touch on, and I know I'm jumping around. I apologize. But Jen McCabe's husband was somehow at this party watching traffic on the street, I think you put it, right? It's not it's a fetish. There must have been a hell of a party. But <laughs> he sees Karen Reed. Just drive away. Yeah, drive south. Yep. No, no three-point turn. She was facing south, and he said right. that she drove. He didn't say she did a three-point turn. 
right. the three-point turn came later on. That was their theory afterwards. I think what happened was they saw the broken taillight in their car and they said, Eureka. Like, let's just say she backed into him. I think the original plan was to say that maybe she hit him at the front or did something. I don't know. Maybe smashed him with a cocktail glass. I don't know. Right. But then they saw the broken tail. They're like, let's go with that. And the only person who has ever said that she did a three-point turn is Michael Proctor. He claims that she said that. Now, who are most people going to believe? The woman charged with murder or the state trooper? They're going to believe the state trooper because we've been taught to trust institutions. And that is why what Michael Proctor is really the biggest villain here is because he is completely eroding public faith in institutions that we need to be able to trust in order to have a society that has law and order in it. And he is completely destroying. He is declaring war on our entire system of governance and justice. Yeah. If this goes the way I think it's going to go, it is going to do that. And it's the prosecution, too. I thought their performance was despicable at that hearing. Just what I've seen from your videos, but I don't know if you noticed or not. The ADA has a tell. Whenever he lies, he gets bright red. His neck gets red. I think episode 22 in your series, his neck starts to flare up. Then his head is bright red. I'm like, oh, my God. It's like a performer where you want them to... Give him the hook. I'm like, somebody save this guy. He was horrible. He was not good. He doesn't have much to work with for starters. And if you're him, like, what are you going to say? And he just mumbles on. He talks about nothing. He just says a bunch of words. And then he mocks the defense for being crazy. That's what he did. So this was a big conspiracy. And how many people are in the conspiracy? And how do you get out of the conspiracy? It's like, it's really not that complicated. People just don't want to go to jail. It was a murder in that house. And people don't want to talk about it because... It's easier to blame this on Karen Reed, an outsider with no ties to the community who they can forget about. Like when she goes to jail, I don't think she's going to jail, but in their mind, when she goes to jail for how many years, she'll just be forgotten about and we'll all move on with our lives and things will be so much easier for everyone if this was Karen Reed that did this. Holy cow. Yeah. How'd you like to be her? But you know what I was saying to my wife? I says, if that was me, I wouldn't have that dough to hire Yanetti and this high-powered team, they would have got what they wanted. They wanted a quick plea. They would have got that out of me because, okay, offer me three years in the can and I can get on with my life. I'd be pressured to take that. Well, I think they screwed up by upgrading the charges for no reason, apparently, from manslaughter to murder in June. Why did they do that? It's still unclear. They just decide, well, this is murder as opposed to manslaughter, which would be like, you didn't mean to do it. Right. Murder means you did. What evidence is there? Like, why, why did you suddenly upgrade that? So now you're looking at like manslaughter. You can avoid jail with manslaughter if yeah. you have no prior charges, which obviously she doesn't. Like she would have gotten probation for like X amount of years. Like it would have been fines, all that stuff. And she would have had a conviction. But she could have possibly avoided jail. So you have that to hold over her head, right? That you can avoid 10, 15 years in prison if you take this deal. When you upgrade it to murder, she suddenly no longer has that option. So now she's going to bring her full arsenal because she has, she has to fight. And in order to do that, you're like you said, not everyone has the resources to hire an Alan Jackson. And I think this whole thing has highlighted the problem with the inequalities in our system in that like, Everybody deserves the defense that Karen Reed's getting, but not everyone gets it. Right. Aiden, this party, so it's going on. 
and something happens downstairs. You've got two or three grown men over six feet tall going at it. It's hard for me to believe that people didn't hear that. And I think you said at a certain point, they ushered the other guests out because if this was, as the prosecution said, Karen Reed hit him on the lawn about 1230-ish, right? If Karen actually struck John, they would have had to walk by the body on some level. There's like 10 or 12 people who would have been going to their cars at about the same time, no? I'll go in the direction too, because they're all in the driveway. They all would have gone south because north is the wrong way. They all would have gone south towards the center of town. And they would have driven right past his body. He would have looked like a buffalo on the prairie like a dead buffalo on the prairie because he's that big. It would have been impossible, I don't care how dark it is, to not notice that big clump of humanity on the front lawn of this house. Nobody believes that. They all saw it. And that's why I think that, or if he was out there, if he was out there at that time, that's the only thing that it's unclear about, in my opinion, about this, is what time that he was put out there. It was my original assertion that he was put out there around 1231, I believe, was the time. But- what if he was put out there at five? What if they actually waited for everyone to leave? Cause I'm just thinking of a way in which the other people in the house don't know that he's dead. Right? Like suppose Sarah Levinson truly didn't know that John O'Keefe was dead in the basement and they need to get her out of there by that time. They could have done that. I mean, there's a world in which they didn't see anything right. because there was nobody, but we don't know because right. none of this is being investigated. Right. So the street beef happens in the house. They know John won't wake up. They usher every other guest out. Okay, see everybody later. It's getting late. We're going to go to bed. And they wouldn't see anybody on the lawn because he ain't there yet. So after they usher everybody out, they bring John out. And hence the 2.27 a.m. Google inquiry, correct? Yeah, so that that just proves that she knew that the plan, if he wasn't out there already at 2.27 a.m., that the plan was to put him out there. So she knows, and she needs to find out, why does she want to know how long it takes? Well, what if he's alive? What if he has a pulse, right? How much do I need to delay Karen Reed here from discovering that body? Because he cannot wake up. If he wakes up, we're all going to jail. He needs to die on that lawn, and we need to make it look like he died from hypothermia. And that is what the pancreas showed was that hypothermia was a big cause in his death. Right. So I think they were saying there's multiple causes, but hypothermia was among them. Right. was the prevailing one. I don't know how it works, what percentage of his death was caused by hypothermia, but that's why she needed to know that. Like how long does he need to be out there? And I would assume I, I've never Googled that, but I'm guessing an hour. I mean, it wouldn't right. take that long for you to die in those kind of yeah. conditions, just lying there. Especially if you're already bleeding. Right, right. So this kind of brings me to the ATF agent. Brian Higgins, is, I think his name is. That's correct. What he did, he's out drinking with the whole crew. And then he goes to work at Canton Police Department. To me, that kind of reeks of something bad happened at the house. And I want to be on camera somewhere else in case something worse happened. I need an alibi. Right. And yeah. so he's had 50 Bud Lights and he's going to go in and do what? Background checks at 1 a.m.? Apparently he's that much of a go-getter. 
And why does he have an office? And like, why does this random guy from the ATF have an office in the Canton Police Department? Because right. they're connected to the police chief, Ken Berkowitz, who, right. by the way, contacted a reporter. The reporter tweeted out that O'Keefe's body was found at Brian Albert's house, a sergeant in the Boston Police Department. And Chief Berkowitz took it upon himself on Twitter to contact this reporter and say, can you take that down? That man is a pillar of the community. He shouldn't have his name smeared in here. Why is that Ken Berkowitz's job to police factual things the media is saying? Because it might hurt the reputation of this guy. That shows you how right. committed they were to protecting the legacy and the reputation of the Albert clan. And didn't Berkowitz find some shards of plastic? On February 4th, that would be, what, a week later? He's just driving by on Fairview Road, which is not, I mean, Thoroughway. And right. he's just driving through there. And wouldn't you know it, a week after plows and cars and all these things have gone by, he finds more fragments of Karen Reed's taillight. And what are the odds of that? Man, I don't know. You could take one of these things, two of these things. It's coincidence. It's a murder. It's hard to solve these things sometimes. But all of these things together, that guy's got to go to work at 1 a.m. And it's just ludicrous. And they're asking you to believe the absurd. They are. They're treating you like you're stupid because, you know, I was in that courtroom. There's not a single Boston police officer in there, which is very strange when a police officer is murdered. Usually the courtroom is packed with right. men in uniform as a show of force to show that, you know, we have our guys back. That is not happening here because the right. Boston police that I've spoken with, I get a lot of emails from Boston police. They know this is a farce. They yeah. know Karen Reed did not do this. Brian Albert is not well-liked in the Boston police department. He has a history of assaulting other officers and being promiscuous, hitting on people's wives. He's not well-liked at all in the Boston. Notice no one is standing up for him in the Boston Police Department. Right. Literally no one, despite all these public accusations, because they know that this is consistent with the Brian Albert that they've gotten to know. Let's move but, on to Colin Albert, if we could. Sure. You called him a hothead. That may be understating, because I've seen several videos where he's visibly drunk and threatening people. Mm -hmm. He's on your site. Turtle Boy News. I thought when you said he's a hothead, I, I was thinking teenage bravado, but it's mm. more than that, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I, I understand kids like to get in fights and whatever, but that's like his entire identity. Right. Every picture of him is him giving the middle finger or fist up in the air. Right. And you can tell he really admires his uncle Brian. Like his pictures yeah. with Brian, you can tell he really looks up to this guy. I think he admires him more than his own father who makes pizzas for a living. And he kind of wants to be like him. You know, he's a yeah. football player. He's a meathead extraordinaire. Every post that he makes on social media is like, don't fuck with my gang, you know? And those right. two videos that I, I posted there are him saying, I'll fuck you guys up. Bang, bang. So like, who does that? Like, that's all you're doing is just establishing yeah. that you're like the hardest kid in Canton. I mean, right. that in a quarter gets you a bag of chips, I suppose. But clearly this is a kid who had a chip on his shoulder and wanted to prove like nobody messes with me. I'm an Albert. I'm from a protected family and no one messes with us. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a Boston cop like John O'Keefe. Right. You don't mess with me. You don't mess with Alberts. So tell me a little bit about the dynamic between Colin Albert, his dad, and John O'Keefe. You say John was a little bit of a get off my lawn guy. He lived right next to Chris and Colin Albert. Yeah, three doors down. 
And what was the beef like? You know what I mean? Like, why would John go to that party if he knew these? Like, he probably didn't know exactly who was there. Was the beef that bad? I mean, that's what makes the story hard to believe for some people. It's like, what? Come on, that much anger, that much anger. But I think when you watch those videos of him, you you understand the kind of person that Colin Albert is when you watch those videos. He's he's a kid with something to prove. He's trying to get in the gang. He's trying to make the adults in his life think that like I'm a hardo too, right? right? I can beat people up too. I'm I'm like you, Uncle Brian. And his street, so he lives with his father, Chris, who owns DE Pizza in town. And they live three doors down from John O'Keefe. And there were many incidents there in which he's got ring cameras all over his lawn, like a lot of cops do, except for Brian Albert, who apparently has no ring cameras. He has got ring cameras all over his lawn and constantly depicts, since he was like 14, Colin Albert cutting through his lawn, right? And once he got his license, he was driving up and down that street like a madman. And John O'Keefe would come out yelling, slow down. And when he went on vacation, he's got ring cameras and he knows that his dad, Chris Albert, knows like right. him a little bit. So right. they went on his porch and they were drinking beers on his porch, knowing that it would trigger an alert. So John's on vacation, gets an alert, looking at a video, the Albert right. on his porch, giving him the finger saying, yeah. fuck you. Asshole. Like it, it was a feud. It was a longstanding feud there. Now, the, the only question in my mind is whether or not Jen McCabe intentionally set him up to be ambushed, which I believe she did. Really? Yeah, I, I believe that because she was just adamant on him coming over there. She was really adamant on it. Like, right. why does she want him there that badly? Come on over. Come on over. Why? Yeah. Why do you want this guy here? You know that people in the house don't like him. So why do you want this guy here so badly? Like, you're not a family friend to him. Why right. do you want him here? The only thing, and a lot of people ask this, and I wonder this, what happened if Karen Reed went in that house? I don't think they would have done it because he's going to talk and the, you yeah. can't have that happen. So in those videos you posted about calling out, but he's very obviously drinking every photographs. There's beers around. This is about 1230 or 1215 ish. They get to Fairview road Colin, I mean, they're not chastising Colin to not drink. I think it's permitted and allowed. And he has half a load on and he sees his neighbor and it's just on. Is, is that how you think it goes? Yeah. I think he was lured there to come into the basement. They probably told him kegs down there, go grab a beer. And he comes down there, Colin Albert's down there. And I think he's there with Brian Albert and the dog. And I think Matt McCabe was down there. And I think that they basically are like, so you give my nephew a problem. You, right. you give my nephew a problem. You think you're a tough guy. And he's probably like, he's a fucking asshole. He's on my lawn. And then Colin Albert, I think this is all theory. I think Colin Albert hit him and I think he fought back based on the boxer's fracture that he apparently has on his hand. And I think he broke his right fifth metacarpal over his head. And I think that is when Brian Albert cannot allow his nephew to get the shit kicked out of him in this house, in his house, in an Albert house. That's not going to happen. I think Brian Albert jumped in and I think the dog jumped in. And I think, you know, two big men like that and a dog fighting another man who is obviously putting up you know, John O'Keefe has the ability to put up quite a fight in return. The force that would be required to stop John O'Keefe would have to be monumental. And keep in mind, he's also trained how to like deal with people on the street that fight back. And so is Brian Albert. And clearly it would take a lot of force to stop John O'Keefe and neutralize him. And so that's what further makes me believe that they did not intend to kill him, but they did. Right. Jeez. You know, let's just blame it on Karen Reed. What I do know is Karen Reed did not kill him. 
So somebody in that house did, and it should be looked into. And every minute wasted on this ridiculous sham prosecution, which is insulting to all of our collective intelligence, is time that could be spent in finding out who killed a cop. That's why this offends me so much, is that this is a distraction. This is a waste of time. And what I'm worried about is that Karen Reed will be acquitted, that this will go to trial. She'll be acquitted. And then she'll turn into OJ. They'll say, well, oh, she got away with murder. Yeah. And that's going to give them an excuse never to actually investigate this. But luckily, I think the feds are now definitely involved. And I don't think that's going to happen. Right. You had mentioned that there is a federal grand jury that's been convened in this case. And you're confident that Mrs. McCabe has been served. Is that right? She has been served. Brian Albert has been served. Colin Albert. They've all lawyered up. You don't lawyer up like that if you have not been served with paperwork from the federal government telling you to come down and testify in front of a grand jury. This is probably the best thing that could happen to Karen Reed. Absolutely. I think, and I think, I think the best thing that happened to Karen Reed was getting Jennifer McCabe's cell phone data right. that was hidden from them for over a year. And then I think the next best thing that happened to Karen Reed emotionally was, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but me getting involved in this. If you look at pictures of her hearings earlier on, her side is empty couple family, friends there, whatever. Karen Reed comes into court the other day and there are people literally outside yelling, we love you, Karen. We support you, Karen. That has to make her feel good. This is a woman who's had her life taken away from her, who is not able to properly grieve the loss of her boyfriend of several years, whose children believe that she murdered him. And that must suck. She didn't get to go to his wake, his funeral, anything like that. And she's broke. She can't work. She has no car and she's being charged with murder. And so this has to feel good for her to know that, like, look at the public is with you. People are talking about this case. They should have been talking about this a long time ago, but now we're talking about it. And now the courtroom's packed and people have your back. So can we talk a little bit about the house on Fairview, the Albert house? It was never searched. It was placed up for sale. I don't know the time frame. Is that right? And then the dog gets rehomed. Yeah. So the time frame for that is, so the incident happens in January 29th, 2022. On October 2nd, in open court, for the first time, Alan Jackson and David Yannetti accuse the Alberts of being involved in a conspiracy to kill John O'Keefe for the first time. Right. On August 12th, at a home owned by Tim Albert that was previously owned by Brian Albert, the family pool is filled in. On October 16th, Tim Albert puts a Facebook post up saying, nobody fucks with my family. On November 17th, the Albert family home, which is built by them and has been in their family for over 50 years, is put up for sale for $949,000. It does not sell until a couple days before the Jennifer McCabe text messages come out in April for $50,000 less than they wanted it for. At some point in there, we don't know when the dog was given away, but it was. Brian Albert claims he regularly speaks with the owner of that dog. Perhaps they could tell us who that is so that we can figure this one out. Maybe he could exonerate himself by bringing the dog forward. We also don't know when he got rid of the basement floor, but he did get rid of the basement floor, which is a weird thing to do considering they'd already done it once prior to that. And that's allegedly where the murder took place was in the basement, which would make sense. There were weights down there. There were implements that could be used to cause blunt force trauma. Right. Uh, so 
crazy. How many coincidences are you supposed to swallow here? Not only is this reasonable doubt for Karen Reed, we're talking strong evidence here without police even doing an investigation that the Alberts were involved in this. Like you do an investigation the way it's properly supposed to be done. You lumen all the crap out of that basement. There's going to be blood and DNA everywhere. The mere presence of John O'Keefe's DNA in that house would immediately prove that Karen Reed is innocent and immediately prove that someone in that house is guilty because he's dead. So we know someone killed him. He didn't just die on his own, but it was never treated as a crime scene. That's a crime in and of itself, not treating that house as a crime scene. Right. Now with the feds investigating this, nobody wants to go to the federal joint, right? But I think the person or people who will end up providing inside information will be on the periphery of the case, right? So to kind of chip away. Who knows? This story is so multifaceted. There's a bunch of people in that house. Did anyone there talk to someone? Someone must have talked to someone. They're going to interview them. They're going to get the weakest link to crack. People are going to start talking. Details are going to come out. It might take time. It might take time for all of this to come together. It might take months and months and months for this to come together. But the quicker it does, the better, because every day, Karen Reed, you know, the the meter's running, as her attorneys put it. The meter's running. She cannot continue her life as long as this is going on. So can a federal grand jury in a state criminal case coexist at the same time? It seems a little strange. I've never heard of that happening before. I've never heard of a case or any investigation in which the state court is charging one person and the federal court is charging another person for that same crime. I've never heard of that before. So I would think that it would automatically result in a dismissal. Imagine that. Imagine the federal government charges, let's say, Brian Albert and Colin Albert and others with a big crime here and the state still pushes for it that would be banana land right i don't think they're even dumb enough to do that so at this last hearing yanetti and his partner were asking for phone records and now they want phone records of brian albert and jen mccabe had deleted her call logs it's just like a never-ending array here What are they going to get if they get Brian Albert's phone? If you talk to Trooper Proctor, the case is over. Oh, absolutely he did. Or conversely, maybe his attorney's right. Maybe he's not tight with Trooper Proctor, but his brother Chris clearly is. Chris commented on uh, Michael Proctor's father's tribute when he passed away uh, online. He's like, we send our family condolences. Chris Albert's clearly close to the Proctor family. So maybe he called Chris Albert and said, can you call your buddy up? Maybe that happened. I mean, this can all be resolved. Like, who did Brian Albert call? First of all, Brian Albert shouldn't be calling anyone because the story is this was a run-of-the-mill party. John O'Keefe didn't come in. Why is Brian Albert calling anyone about this? Why did Sergeant Lank suddenly show up? That makes me believe here. And keep in mind, his brother's also a selectman. He's got connections in town. Sergeant Lank was not on duty that night, but he showed up. He showed up. And it's so strange how that happens. Aiden, if somebody was killed at your house during a party, would you exit the house to talk to the other cops or the EMTs? Would you do that? Yeah, I'd be freaked out by it and say, what the hell? Why is there a dead body on my lawn? Who didn't do that? Brian and Nicole Albert did not do that. Uh, Unless, now we don't even know if they were in the house. I mean, when you think about it, we don't even know if they were in the house because the cops didn't go in that. What if they left the house? We don't know. We don't right. know where they went. Maybe oh, they got shit. the hell out of there. 
Like, who knows? We do know that Jennifer McCabe called them at 6.07 and 6.08 and that they answered for a period of about eight seconds. So who knows? Her lawyer, I believe, is saying, oh, well, that's just because that's what happens on an answering machine, a voicemail. Does it? Does it come through as an answered call? I don't think that's how it works. No, I think it says voicemail. On the logs with the phone company, it says answered or unanswered. Right. And those two calls said answered. Right. And the prosecutor said it only says answered because it went to voicemail. Then what does unanswered mean? Like, I see several things that were unanswered. What, did they just not have their voicemail set up? Like, what does that mean? So nothing the prosecution is saying makes sense. And they're just hoping that people are stupid enough to go along with this farce. Yeah. Jeez. And it gets worse. It never gets better for the prosecution. What do you think is going to happen with this motion to get Brian Albert's phone? Will that be granted? I think that's 50, 50 because it's been denied previously, but since then the Jennifer McCabe texts and Google searches have come forward. So that might be new incentive, but I think that the much stronger one is the dog motion to get the dog, I think is a much stronger motion that the prosecutions, because once you see those pictures, there's no reason you can't get the dog. There's absolutely, because when you could argue that, you know, Brian Albert has fourth amendment rights and that since he's not a suspect in this, why should he hand over his phone? I can understand that argument. But there is no argument you can make for not providing this dog. Like, where is is the dog alive? Like, right. Brian Albert claims it is. He claims he still sees the dog. Let's see it. You know, right. so I can't imagine a world in which the judge does not allow the defense to have access to that dog. Yeah, I guess I could see that he has a right to privacy on the phone, but he doesn't have a right to privacy on the animal. You're right. The, the animal does not have a right to privacy. <laughs> Not yet, but it is Massachusetts. Yeah, we're getting there. Don't never say never. All right. This is going to be interesting going forward, but I feel for Karen Reed. But she's a strong woman, man. I mean, I don't know Karen Reed, but right. I can tell just by looking at her. Some say she has resting bitch face in course, but yeah. I, I think that she just exudes confidence. And I think for good reason. She's a smart person. She's obviously well-resourced. And I think they messed with the wrong woman here. I think you're right. I think you're right. And this is not going to go well for the Commonwealth. And I think Karen Reed might be a very rich woman when this is all over. Things happen for a reason. And I think this horrible thing happened to her for a reason because she was destined to do something. She wasn't destined to be a, a professor and a financial analyst. She was destined for something much bigger than that. All right, Aiden, I appreciate you coming on Boston Confidential. There's so many levers and facets to this case i feel like when i'm doing my podcast i'm giving too many details do you know what i mean yeah there's a there is a lot to this case you know we had 50 minutes here but we could spend hours doing this i think we hit the big points all right my friend thanks for coming on i'd love to have you on again in the future and say hello to all the turtle riders for me will do thank you for having me barry all right thanks aiden i appreciate it all right bye All right, guys, so that was our interview with Aiden Kearney of Turtle Boy News. I told you nobody knows this case like Turtle Boy, and I think that's illustrated in our interview that we just concluded. I think that's all I have for you on this one. I think this is going to be our final episode on this case, at least until it progresses in the judicial system. But if you want more information, go to Turtle Boy News. Like I said, there's nearly 30 chapters or so on Aiden's blog. So check it out. Definitely check it out. 
And I want to thank Aiden for coming on the show. And I really appreciate it. And thank you to all his fans, the Turtle Riders. All right, guys, that's all I have for you on this one. I'll get on to the next one, and I'll see you on the flip side. Mm-hmm.